We're in Proverbs this morning again uh, in the series that we've been in. We've called Timeless Wisdom. Uh, Just as it says, Timeless Wisdom, that God's Word uh, gives us wisdom. God's Word gives us instruction that is timeless. In other words, even though what we are reading was written thousands of years ago, here we are, fast forward thousands of years later, and God's Word is just as relevant important, powerful, necessary, and instructive for us today as it was the day it was written, uh, as the day it was recorded, as the day that God carried along the writers of Scripture. And so uh, we are in this book of Proverbs, and this morning we are going to be looking at uh, marriage in the book of Proverbs. So if you're here today and you're married, you really want to listen up. If you're here today and you're not married, you still want to really listen up. If you're thinking about marriage or pursuing marriage, or maybe you're not even interested in marriage, it's fine. You can still listen to these timeless truths that God has given in his word in regards to marriage. Uh, We're going to get into the book of Proverbs in a moment, but I want to begin, as we've been doing kind of every step of the way, at looking at some general principles that God's word offers to us in regards to marriage. Some general principles that the word of God gives us in regards to marriage. And I want to start off by giving you some statistics. Uh, Listen, marriage in our culture and in America and around the world is not in a healthy spot in general in the world in which we find ourselves living. I looked up some statistics from uh, some lawyers actually that keep updated statistics in regards to marriage. This is new as of 2020. Almost 50% of all marriages will end in divorce in the United States or separation. Process that for a minute. You've heard that statistic probably before. It's true. Almost 50% of all marriages in the United States will end in divorce or separation. 41% of first marriages end in divorce. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. And 73%, almost three out of every four of third marriages end in divorce. Every 13 seconds, there is a divorce in America. That's 2.4 million plus divorces per year in America. And when you think about those statistics, that's quite staggering to consider that. If you go to Amazon and look up marriage help books, there's over 40,000 titles that will be offered to you. I'm assuming they just quit like counting how many it is after 40,000 because it says over 40,000, 40,000 plus marriage help books. Uh, among all Americans age 18 years of old and older, whether they've been married or not, so this is anyone 18 plus, 25% have gone through a marital split. 15% of adult women in the United States are divorced or separated today compared with less than 1% in 1920, 100 years ago. The average first marriage that ends in divorce lasts about eight years. Uh, these are some pretty sobering statistics on marriage. And when asked why those that have been married and been divorced, why did the marriage not last, here are some of the common reasons. 73% of those asked said it was because of a lack of commitment, either on their part or the part of their spouse. 50, 56% said they argue too much. 55% was because of infidelity. 46% because they got married too young. said because of unrealistic expectations when they got married. 44% said a lack of equality in the relationship. 41% said a lack of preparation on their part for marriage. 25% was as a result of domestic violence or abuse. Again, these are pretty staggering statistics in regards to marriage. And so when we look at marriage, uh, we can ask the question of why in the world would God 
institute something like marriage that seems like it is just faltering and seems like there are so many issues and problems? And it's a good question. That's why I want to begin by making this first truth clear about God's word, that marriage is, in fact, God's plan. Marriage is God's plan. Uh, It can be difficult to sometimes process that or believe that in the current culture and environment we find ourselves living today. And yet marriage is God's plan. Its origin is found in God. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, The Lord God said it is not good for that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. God in his creation of all living things, and we read about that account in Genesis, and God created man and created the animals and created the plants and created all living beings, and he saw that it was not good that man should be alone. There was no helper found suitable for man, so God made woman out of man, a helper fit for him. God's desire was for marriage between that man and that woman. Marriage is part of God's plan. Now understand, the Word of God makes it clear as well. There are those that God's intention would not be for them to marry, that they have been gifted with the gift of singleness. They have been gifted to be able to honor and serve the Lord in a singleness, in a capacity where they will not be married, and that may be you, and that's perfectly fine and okay, and that is even a gift from the Lord. But understand the marriage relationship, the marriage relationship between one man and one woman is God's plan as initiated by God himself all the way back at the very beginning of creation between Adam and Eve. He says it's not good for man to be alone. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, a little later on, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Again, God's desire is for that marriage relationship as part of his plan, that man and woman would not be alone, and that man and woman would become one flesh, that they would leave father and mother and be joined together and hold fast to one another. We have a session during premarital counseling that most of the time that premarital counseling will bring up that is called leaving and cleaving. And basically what we're instituting and reminding people is the fact that when you get married, What you're doing is you're making a commitment to your spouse that is saying, I am willing to leave my father and mother, all of my commitment and dedication that was once all uh, underneath the headship of my parents and underneath their authority. Now I am leaving that and I am committing myself to my spouse. I'm leaving them and cleaving to you. When you enter a marriage relationship, your marriage partner, your spouse, should be the individual next to the Lord that you honor, value, love, and are committed to above all others. And there's a necessity of leaving father and mother and being joined to your husband or to your wife in the marriage relationship. I remember a little over 18 years ago, uh, over 18 and about 18 and a half years ago when my wife and I were married, I had just turned 21 two days before I got married. My wife, 22, and we entered into a marriage relationship. We had no idea what we were doing. No clue. We lived six hours from both of our parents, and so we were, we were on our own in that marriage relationship, uh, obviously with the Lord and with each other. But I remember that first year of marriage, the time it took to learn about one another uh, in ways that we did not already know. One of the things I remember is when we would first go grocery shopping and, and we would be looking at different items and we knew what our parents would buy. So like even laundry soap, like I would make this thing like that's not the kind of laundry soap my mom used to buy. Or if it was like the brand of toilet paper that you use, <laughs> toothpaste, 
you know, anything like that. We had to try to figure that out of what do we buy and how do we do that? How do we come up with a plan on that? Uh, you know, words that you never want to say, gentlemen, to your, to your wife when they cook a meal. Is that's not how my mom used to make that. Or maybe you should call my mom and find out how she made that. Ladies, something you don't want to tell your husband is, or have your husband here is you calling up your dad and asking him how to fix something when you haven't asked your husband to fix it first. We, we battled through those things early on in marriage of understanding how it, how it looks and what it means uh, to, to leave father and mother and be joined together as husband and wife. And we grew and we learned those things. And this is the plan of God, right, for the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. In Mark chapter 10, verses 6 to 9, Jesus is being tested by the Pharisees, and they're asking him specifically about divorce. And Jesus mentions the institution of marriage and God's plan for marriage and says, From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. This is the plan of God. Now listen, society may try to change that. Culture may try to change that. They may try to redefine that. And yet let us not lose sight of what the plan of God in marriage is. That plan of one man and one woman joined together in the sight of God in a commitment that was to be for life. Through the power and strength, the guidance and leadership that God gives in marriage. Marriage is God's plan. Secondly, marriage is a commitment that God takes seriously. Marriage is a commitment that God takes seriously. In Matthew chapter 19, 3 to 6, similar to what we just read in Mark 10, here it says the Pharisees came to Jesus and tested him, saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined, let not man separate. You might say, man, we've read that, that same statement three times already this morning. And so I asked the question, do you think God takes that seriously? Already three times that we've covered that this morning in three different passages in God's word. Marriage is a commitment that God takes seriously. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman. And it's to be between believers of like precious faith. Two believers should be married or two unbelievers married. But not a believer and an unbeliever married. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul's writing, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Marriage is to be between a believer and a believer, or an unbeliever and an unbeliever. Marriage is a gift not only to the believer, but to the unbeliever, between man and woman. But a believer should be married to a believer, an unbeliever, an unbeliever. It's a commitment that God takes Seriously, I want you to think about what commitment means for a moment. I remember as a young kid uh, learning very early on from my dad that when I commit to do something, I need to follow through. I need to be committed to doing it. I remember in second grade when I wanted to go out for the wrestling team as an elementary student. And I remember uh, trying out for wrestling, going into the wrestling team, and I had this expectation when I was going to wrestle, it was going to be like WWF wrestling, and now WWE wrestling where, like, you know, you're going to have the painted faces and the entrance music and the people and all, all that stuff and all the hoopla that goes around that. And I was 
uh, you know, not pleasantly surprised when I went to the first wrestling practice and there was like an awful lot of just running and like cardio stuff and like push-ups and running stairs and cutting weight and all of eating healthy and all this other stuff. I'm like, what is this garbage? I thought it was going to be like WWF wrestling where like everything is just crazy entertaining and it was not that. And I remember early on, I was like, I want to quit. My dad was like, no, you're going to finish what you've committed to. And I wrestled a couple years after that, and it was something that I stuck with a little bit. But he was saying, listen, you got to commit. When you make a commitment initially, you commit and follow through. We understand that in regards to sports or teams or groups that we commit to or something that we commit to for a time. How much more so is the commitment that we make in the marriage relationship of value? God takes the marriage commitment seriously. It's his plan And it's one he takes very seriously. Number three, marriage should be mutually fulfilling. Marriage should be mutually fulfilling. In list of those reasons why people say that their marriage ends in divorce, so much of that has to do with one side being selfish and the other not. Uh, So much has to do with one side being willing to make things try to work and the other side not. Or so much has to do with both sides caring more about self rather than each other. Marriage should be mutually fulfilling. In that passage in Genesis 2.18, when God said it's not good for the man to be alone, I'll make a helper fit for him. In the two becoming one flesh, there's a mutual fulfillment that should be happening in the marriage relationship. Listen, if in your marriage one spouse is being left completely unfulfilled, unfulfilled and unsatisfied in that marriage relationship, there needs to be work done. If only one is benefiting from the marriage relationship, if only one is feeling the joy and the contentment that comes with a lasting marriage relationship, there needs to be work done in that marriage because it should be a mutually fulfilling before the Lord relationship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul the Apostle gives a a reason why to be married. And he talks about this mutual fulfillment in regards to the physical, sexual fulfillment that should happen in marriage. Kids, plug your ears here, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 5. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Listen, this passage makes it very clear. There should be a mutual satisfaction and mutual uh, um, response in marriage to fulfilling each other's needs. He says, for this reason, let each man have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body. The husband does. And the husband does not have authority over his own body. The wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7 that because of the desire for sexual relationship that is present in man and woman, that each husband should have his own wife and each wife her own husband, and they should be fulfilling one another in this. Now, there are so many passages that we've already read about being helper to one another, being one flesh, of being the one that would leave father and mother and be joined together, that the commitment and fulfillment and satisfaction is not just in a sexual, physical realm, although that is part of it, 
But very clearly, marriage is God's plan. And very clearly, marriage is a relationship and commitment that God takes seriously. And very clearly, God's intent in marriage that is found in him should be mutually fulfilling for each spouse involved in that marriage relationship. That's God's desire. God's desire is a mutual fulfillment in marriage. And I believe so many marriages would not end in divorce that end in divorce if there was a desire on the part of husband and wife to do marriage and live their marriage out in the way that God intends them to do it. If there was such a a mindset and such an attitude that recognized this is what God has ordained, this is God's plan, that the commitment that we've made to one another, the vows of commitment we've made to each other before God and man are vows that God takes seriously. That marriage is hard work. That marriage is, is hard work that should cause both husband and wife to say, I value you and desire your well-being and your good and your fulfillment even above my own. That in doing that, we can have a marriage that is honoring to God and that is strong in the eyes of God. These are principles from God's word. Now, these aren't all of the principles from God's word for marriages, but these are a few of them. Now, let's look at the book of Proverbs now as we, as we come to a, a, a latter part of this message here, the last part of the message here. Truths from Proverbs on marriage. Now, as we look at different Proverbs, I want to just remind you again that much of what we're reading in the Proverbs, again, Solomon writing the majority of these, he's writing these and he's writing them as instruction to who? To his what? Say it out loud. His son, right? There are many times in the book of Proverbs that Solomon's going to pause and be like, my son, listen, my son, take heed. My son, give ear to. My son, let me tell you, all of these things. My son, my son, my son, my son. So it makes sense then that in particular in passages that have to do with the marriage relationship in the book of Proverbs, instruction about marriage in the book of Proverbs, that Solomon is giving to his son is going to be giving him instruction in regards to his son as a husband and searching for and finding his wife, okay? So much of the principles that we're going to see, yes, are instruction given to his son about the wife that he is to find or the wife that he will be with, but they're also reciprocal that if I were writing Proverbs or Solomon were writing Proverbs to his daughter or to my daughters, I would be coming at it from the perspective of what they should be looking for in a husband, So understand these wisdom principles and the value that they play, both in searching for a wife as well as a husband in our understanding of the marriage relationship. Truths from Proverbs on marriage. Truth number one, a good spouse is a gift from the Lord. A good spouse is a gift from the Lord. In Proverbs 19.14, he says, House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Again, he's giving instruction to his son. And he's wanting him to understand house and wealth are inherited from fathers. Listen, nobody more wealthy than Solomon. Solomon's son going to inherit, right, a lot. He's going to be okay for the rest of his life financially with wealth and homes. He's going to be okay in that regard. And Solomon says, listen, house and wealth are inherited from fathers. You can give thanks to your your dad for, for the wealth that he gives to you, even though that's from the Lord as well, but it's inherited from fathers. But a prudent wife is from the Lord, a wife that is to be desired, a wife that honors God, a wife that would bring you goodness and not evil, a wife that will bring you joy and not pain, a wife that will bring peace and not turmoil. A prudent wife is from the Lord. A good spouse is a gift from God. 
This is true of a husband for the wife, that a good husband is from the Lord as it is a good wife is from the Lord. We need to look at our spouse If you're married today, if you're pursuing marriage or looking for a marriage partner, you need to see that your spouse that honors God, that cares for you, that loves you, that is at peace with you, it brings joy to you, the one that is in your home, in your life, that is prudent before the Lord, is a gift from God. Proverbs 31.10 says, An excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. Again, Solomon writing to his son, he's saying, Listen, If you find an excellent wife, she is more precious than jewels. We all know stories of individuals that we love and care for, and they married a person that does not honor God or who is not a good spouse, and the turmoil and hardship and pain that that brings. But it is time this morning, if you are married today, to look at your spouse that honors God, that loves you as a gift from the Lord. I wonder if you're married today, when was the last time you truly looked at your spouse as a good gift from God? Your spouse that loves and knows and honors the Lord, a gift from the Lord. Do we treat our spouse that way? We treat them that way. You know, if our our kids get a new pair of shoes, school shoes, we tell them when they wear them, hey, don't wear those outside to play in. Don't jump in the mud in those shoes because you want to keep those new shoes looking good, right? If you get a new car or new-to-you car, when you first get that car, you drive it and you clean it, and you might even wash and wax it to make it look shiny and keep it new. But eventually it becomes old, doesn't it? Eventually it just kind of becomes the car just becomes what is commonplace. How many times have you heard people say about married couples, oh, they must be newlyweds because they hold hands and act like they like each other, right? Or people, when they're first married, I remember when Shoshana and I were first married, everywhere we'd go, we'd, have our hand, we'd be holding hands or my arm would be around her. Or we'd always be like, I shouldn't say we. I'd always be like tickling her or like doing stuff like in front of people and, and always kind of like looking at her a certain way. People were like, oh, you guys are in the honeymoon stage, right? And then, and then just wait. That stage will end soon. Isn't that encouraging when people say stuff like that? Just wait. You won't be able to stand each other before too long. You know, but sadly, that's so often what is the perspective of marriage, isn't it? That if you truly love and care and value your spouse and treat them as a gift from the Lord and you celebrate them and you love them and you are totally consumed with them, it's because you're newlyweds. But that will change. Don't worry. No, that's not what God's intent is for marriage. God's intent for marriage, husbands, is that you treat your wife as a gift from the Lord. Wives, that you treat your husband as a gift from the Lord, a good gift from the Lord. I wonder how we're doing on that. Number two, a wise household has the Lord as its foundation. The home that is being built upon the Lord is the home that is being built on wisdom. Proverbs 24, 1-4 says, Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence, their lips talk of trouble. By wisdom a house is built, by understanding it is established, by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Proverbs 14, 11 says, The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. You want to have a home, a house, 
that is built upon the Lord. If you're married today, can I encourage and challenge you to build your home upon the foundation of the Lord? That's why Joshua would say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe to this point in time, that has not been a priority for you in your marriage. Can I encourage you just as much of a priority as viewing and treating your spouse as a gift from the Lord? Foundationally, is that you are building your home upon the Lord. And if you haven't been doing that to this point, today's a great day to start doing that. Together as a couple, get into the word of God, establish principles for your marriage upon the word of God, and build your home upon the foundation of the Lord. Too many times we let others control our thinking about what our home is to look like. Too many times we let others control our thinking about where we spend our money, where we invest our time, how we raise our children, how we respond to one another as a spouse. Let us build our home upon the foundation of the Lord. Number three, sexual desire and fulfillment should be found in the marriage relationship. I told kids to plug your ears. Really plug them for this passage. Proverbs chapter 5, 18 to 21. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. There's an awful lot I could say about this passage in Proverbs chapter 5, 18 to 21. Wisdom would say, let my words be few here. Let me just say this. Sexual desire and fulfillment should be found in the marriage relationship, and sex in marriage is not a thing to be ashamed of. A healthy, vibrant, creative, joyful sexual relationship in marriage should be celebrated. And if the Lord is our foundation and our desire is to honor the Lord, even as we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there should be a mutual submission and satisfaction in the sexual relationship in your marriage. This is a good thing. Number four, the marriage relationship should be one of peace and positivity. Proverbs 17.1, better is a dry morsel than, with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. No one's desire is for their home to be filled with turmoil and strife. God's desire for the marriage relationship is one of peace and positivity. Proverbs 21.9, it's better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. People joke about this passage and say, ha, look. But again, Solomon's writing to his son. And he's telling him, hey, avoid the quarrelsome woman. And I believe he would equally tell a daughter to avoid a quarrelsome husband. A husband who is given over to rage and given over to anger and is always quarreling. Better to be on the corner of a housetop than live in a house with those who are quarrelsome. The marriage relationship should be one of peace and positivity. We've got to hurry here. Number five, it's the responsibility of the husband and wife to be an excellent spouse. It's the responsibility of the husband and of the wife before the Lord to be an excellent spouse. Proverbs 12.4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. A foolish son, Proverbs 19, is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. God's desire in the marriage relationship is that we would seek to be an excellent spouse individually we have that responsibility in our marriage. There's so many principles that we could take from God's word in regards to marriage and so many principles from the book of Proverbs. These are just a few. 
But when we leave from here, let us not be jaded by the culture. Let us not be misinformed by what we see going on around us. Let us be informed through God's word that marriage is God's plan and it's a commitment God takes seriously. That marriage is an opportunity to glorify the Lord. It should be mutually fulfilling. Your spouse is a gift from God. So we should treat our spouse as such. We must build our marriage, our home on the foundation of the Lord. We must seek to be an excellent spouse to our spouse. And in doing so, honor the Lord. I want to encourage you to do a study on marriage in the Bible. You'll be surprised at how many principles, how much wisdom is found there. And you'll be amazed how you see your marriage begin to be healthier and healthier when the Lord is at the focal point of your marriage, if he is the foundation, if he is the source for health in your marriage relationship. These are just a few things that I think we can honor the Lord when we follow them. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the marriage relationship that you've instituted. Thank you for the wisdom that your word gives in regards to marriage, and I pray that we would take heed to that, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done and all that you'll continue to do. And We trust you, Lord, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.